This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. So we're going to begin this uh, series of teachings discussing the birth of Christ. And, and for my portion, what I'm going to focus on is, uh, is, is found in the book of Isaiah. And my, my subtitle was, Unto Us a Child is Born. Unto Us a Child is Born. And as I was saying earlier, the purpose of this teaching is that we need to you know, we, we talked all last month about the need to understand and appreciate to embrace the gift of pastor. We need to have an appreciation for our Savior. We need to have an understanding of our Savior and who it is that God sent down to redeem us from our sins. Again, we said that he sent him as a, as a child unto us, that, that glory itself became encased in flesh. It became in, incarnate. He became incarnate. Like us unto us, having passions and desires, having sensations and feelings, having hungers, having sorrows, so that he could be touched with our infirmities, that he was, he, he, he was obedient even to being bruised for our transgressions. And that we have a Savior that, that, that can identify with us. And so that all that God is asking us to do, He's not asking us as someone that, that doesn't know what we're capable of. He's not asking us as, as, as someone that, that made something and, and did not test the limits and the bounds of what He had made. You know, sometimes we put things in motion and we say, well, I think it'll hold. You know, we put duct tape on stuff and we try and put things together. It says, well, I think I think it might work out. But that's that's not the way our, our God is a purposeful God. When he formed us, when he fashioned us, he says, I know what you can do. I know what you can endure. I know what you can withstand. And especially in this particular season, in this ministry, there's a need for us to become resilient. There's a need for us to become just a little bit, I dare say, just a little bit tougher. Just a, just a little bit stronger than what we are. You know, that job that you, that you thought that you would always have, they, they may let you go, but we need to be just a little bit stronger than what we, that, that man, that woman, that you wrote their names in your little dream book. That you built your whole fantasies and your, your, your romantic dreams around. They may not be who you thought that they were. We need to be just a little bit stronger. We need to be a little bit more of what God intended for us to be. This ministry is going to go through so many changes. You think that we've been through change. There, there's so many more changes to come. And I'm, I'm always just, just in wonder and awe. And how our children, as soon as they, they need to feed themselves, as soon as they need to provide their own transportation to church, that we begin to see it falling away. We as a ministry, we need to be just a little bit stronger. We need to be a little bit more resilient. In understanding who our Savior is, understanding that, that He wasn't someone that came fully formed, but He came as a child. 
encased in flesh, just like we are, wholly obedient to the will of the Father, what he was able to accomplish in his lifetime, that should give us a hope. You know, when he came, he said that he was bringing peace on earth, goodwill towards men. That peace is, is, is peace between God and man. It's, it's, it's an eternal peace, but it's also, it should be a peace that you have in your life even on this day. That you should not be tossed to and fro by every care and every concern, by every challenge, every trial and every tribulation. That unto us a child is born. That, that God has, has brought into this earth something that's completely different, something that, that was completely new, that wasn't there before in the life of Jesus Christ. And so go to Isaiah chapter 9. We'll just start with our anchor scripture. Isaiah chapter 9. And it says, Isaiah chapter 9, reading that verse 6. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And I just love how this, this passage, it says, and, and of the increase of his government, in peace there shall be no end. And upon the throne, the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it. This is the time of ordering and a time of establishing it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And having a confidence and understanding, the appreciation. When I talk about appreciation, I mean that we need to place a higher value. We need to place a higher price above what we've already placed on our salvation, on, on the, the, the Savior that has come. Because when we place that the appropriate value, we, we place the, the appropriate esteem upon our Savior, that we will be moved to action. We will be moved even now in our circumstances to do the will of the Father. That we will not allow the cares of this world to choke out the seed of the Word of God. But we will be moved to action. And I love how it says that it, it starts from saying that, that, that unto us a child is born. And, and, and unto us a son is given. You know, when we think about a child, when we think about a son, that, that denotes a certain responsibility to the person or the, to the, the, the people that, that that child is given to. That we have to have a, a care and a concern for our Savior. We have to have a care and a concern, a consideration, a relationship, a value for our Savior. You know, when we says that, that something is given, a lot of times that we... we we know how you feel about the giver based on how you treat the gift. We know how you feel about the giver based on how you treat the gift. If, if someone gives you something and you really, you know, it's kind of like, well, okay, you know, they, they really don't know me. And, you know, 
thank you. You might put it on the shelf somewhere and just let it collect dust. But if it's something that, if, if, you, if you value the giver, if you value the giver, that thing that they gave you, it becomes even more precious. It becomes even more precious. And that's how we have to value the Savior. In valuing the giver, in valuing our Lord and the promises that He made, we have to esteem and place more, even more highly our Savior. And it goes on and says that, that, that His name is going to be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. But what I love about it is that the, the last word in it is that He's the Prince of Peace. That He is the Prince of of peace that, that, that there should not be turmoil and turbulence in the lives of the believers that yes there will be trials there will be tribulations there will be changes and there will be seasons but the last word in his name is peace that he is the prince of peace and valuing what God has given us that we should have peace in our hearts and peace in our lives the Savior came in the flesh and dwelt among us. The Savior came in the flesh and dwelt among us. And what I love is that He took on flesh for a season. He took on our infirmities for a season that we can spend an eternity with the Lord God Creator. He suffered afflictions for a season. He suffered trials for a season. He was tested and examined for a season so that we could spend eternity with our Lord and Savior. So that we could spend eternity with our Lord the Creator. When we think about what is a Savior, a Savior is a, is a rescuer. A Savior is a deliverer. A Savior is someone that is able to take you out of where you could not take yourself. To bring you from where you could not bring yourself. To deliver you out of where you were. We were those that were without hope, that were unable. It says, it says in Scripture that, 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 that we had a, a debt. We had a debt. The song says that, that, that we had a debt that we couldn't pay. And he paid the price. Even though he didn't owe it. Even though he had no sin in and of himself. When we think about a rescuer, you know, a lot of us, we think about rescue. And this is, this is, this is why we have to have an appreciation. We have to increase our appreciation for our Savior. Is that a lot of times we want to be we want to be taken out we want to be plucked out of the situation that we were in we want to be placed someplace else in a beautiful place in a well watered place we want to be delivered from the danger that we were in and put into a place of safety and yes our Savior has delivered us from the danger that we were in. And he has placed us in a place of safety. 
But we still continue. We still abide in this body. We have to have a greater appreciation for our Savior because although He has saved us, although He has rescued us, we still must traverse through the valley in the shadow of death. We still have infirmities that beset our bodies. We still have disappointments and trials and tests. We say, God, I thought you were going to take all of that away from me. And he says, no, my grace is sufficient to deliver you through, to bring bring forth my glory while you are in. That's why we have to have a greater appreciation for our Savior. You know, it's, it's, it's easy to say, well, you know, yeah, I, I, I was in a bad spot and now I'm not in that bad spot anymore. But now we find ourselves that we are still going through in this flesh. When we would do good, evil is present with us always. We find ourselves still being tempted by our own lusts. But thank God that we have a Savior. Thank God that we have a Savior. And so that's why we have to appreciate our Savior. When we say that the Christ has come, Christ is the Christos. He's the anointed one. He is the Messiah. He is the promised one. In the Old Testament, the oil was poured upon the the high priest. And it was also poured upon the head of the... uh, of the king, and, and the, the 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 anointing would be upon them for a season or for a time, but Christ is the one with the, that the anointing came upon him, and it abides forever. That he is the anointing. He is the anointing. He is the favor of God. He is the power of God. He is the grace of God. He is the ability of God. He is the ability of God to cause us to be able to stand in spite of everything. He is the ability of God to bring us through every trial, temptation, and test. He is God's ability to cause us to stand before the Lord God, our Creator, blameless because of our faith and our trust in Him. We have to have a greater appreciation for our Savior. We have to more, more highly esteem, more highly value our Savior and what He's done for us. When we preach Jesus, we preach Jesus as the Christ. Now this, to some, it's a stumbling block. To those that want to place tradition above truth, and especially at this time of the year, you know, people, they want to argue about Christmas or Xmas or, or trees or, or, or if, 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 uh, if, if a child could have been born in what is considered the, the winter seasons or, um, you know, what the connection is with, with all these other pagan festivals and, 
and and and, and they, 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 we we get so caught up in the commercialisms and the and the arguments around Christmas and around the season that we forget that 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 we celebrate Jesus the Christ. This is a celebration of Jesus the Christ. That he's a he's a stumbling block to those that want to put tradition before truth. He is foolishness to those that are without faith. To those that consider themselves wise in their own eyes. He is complete and utter fool. So how is it that you can say that a child was born of a virgin? Well, oh, you must mean a young woman, right? You know, somebody happened to come, you know, there was a, maybe a, a Roman soldier and there was some kind of, no! That from a virgin, someone that had never been touched, that had never known a man, that God, the Holy Spirit, overshadowed her and a Savior was brought forth. A savior was brought forth. It's foolishness to those. They think that it's a fairy tale. They think that it's a it's a it's a story that you tell young children. That it's not something that that an intellectual in modern society could possibly hold on to. It's not something that 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 an educated person that you know that was that was good for for the old folks you know that that read from their hymnals. But it's not something that a modern intellectual you know should should need to hold on to. That definitely, it just means that we need to be kind and nice and good to each other. But no, we, we, we preach Jesus the Christ, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died a sacrificial death, was raised by the Father because there was no sin in him, and now ever lives to make intercession at his right hand for us. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Starting with verse 21, it says, For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. Their own intellects, their own searching, their own seeking the world. They knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews, they require a sign. And the Greeks, they seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block. Because when they, they, they had the oracles, when they had the word of truth, when they should have been seeking for a savior, when the signs were all about them, they refused in their hearts to acknowledge the glory that was before them, the truth that was before them. And to the Greeks, it's foolishness. It's foolishness that, that, God, that God could be God. That the Lord could be Lord. That He could reign and He could rule according to His desire and according to His designs. Not according to the physics of mankind. Not according to biology. That God could be God. And He could do as He pleases. 
But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and even in his weakest, he is still stronger than men. And so when we talk about unto us, a child is born. We talk about the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Knowing that to those that that should have been seeking for a sign, that should have been aware of the glory that was before them. That it's a stumbling block, that it's foolishness to those that rely on physics and that rely on biology. Says, how are we to 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 articulate? How are we to bring the proper value? How are we to bring the proper appreciation to the Lord our Savior? And I love it that that Jesus Himself that He explains Himself that we don't need to try and and put our own thought patterns around. For example, when it says in the fullness of time that God sent His Son. Born of a virgin. You know, I remember Brother Martin was saying that, that you know, in, some, in some, some commentaries, they say that when they talk about the fullness of time, it's in reference to the establishment of the Roman Empire, that they had, that they had built roads throughout the Western world. They hadn't built roads throughout the known world. They just built roads throughout the Western world. And that it was convenient at that time for Christ to come because there was a nexus of all civilizations and that God was able to, to, to more efficiently uh, spread forth the gospel at that time. And that's what it means by at the fullness of time. But don't you know that God is God? Don't you know that He is Lord? The oldest book in the Bible is the book of Job. And Job was not from Israel. Job was from the east. The gospel was already in the east. Because Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives. And he anxiously awaited the coming of our Lord. Don't you know that God is God? Don't you know that He can do what He can do? And that there's none that can hold forth His hand. If, 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 if the Roman Empire and their, their happening on the scene was a convenient time, why didn't God come in the time of Nimrod? When he gathered all the peoples together to build a tower up into the heavens. And he had assembled all the nations together. God said, you know what, that's just foolishness. I'm going to scatter the nations at this time. God is God and he can do what he will do. When we say that it's the fullness of time, it means that this is the time that God so ordained that it be. This is the time of God's choosing. This is the day that is today. You know, this is also the day of promise. I want you all to make sure that that you don't don't lose sight that this is not something that just happened 2,000 years ago. But today is also a day of promise. Today is also a day of promise when God will do what He will do.
He is not dependent upon man's devices. He is not dependent upon circumstances. In times, God will do what he will do. He will bring salvation to whom he will bring salvation. He will bring forth his word and stretch out his hand. And no man can stop him. So when we talk about Jesus, Jesus, expla- Jesus himself explains himself. And he explains himself according to the word of God that has already been given. He explains himself by the scriptures. Look at John chapter 5. We don't need to try and second guess and figure out God. Because he explains himself. And he explains himself by his word. By the word that has already been given. John chapter 5. Let's start at verse 37. It says, And the Father himself which hath sent me hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. Here we are trying to explain God. And we, we, Pilate was, he was looking right at Christ and says, what is true? Did not even know what truth was. Verse 38, it says, ye have not, ye have not his word abiding in you. For whom he hath sent him, ye believe not. Verse 39, it says, Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. And he goes on and admonishes, And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. I don't need the honor of men. I don't need the approval of men. God is God. The Lord is Lord. You search the scriptures because you believe you believe in the word that was given unto the prophets. It's so easy to 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 uh, to heap accolades upon those that have gone before. To quote those that have gone before. But when they were there giving forth instruction, did you take every word to heart? Did it burn inside of you? Did you take those promises and order your conduct according to the word of God? You search the scriptures because you think they have eternal life, but they're the ones that that speak of the Savior. They speak of Christ. Let's talk about the promise of a Savior. I love that word promise. Promise. When we say promise, that means that that's something that is spoken in present time, but it speaks of something that would be accomplished in the future. And so I said, I said, well, you know, what's the purpose of a promise? I mean, a promise is given for a, a, the present time, but it speaks of something that will happen in the future. Why not just let us know what's going on now, what's happening now? The promise is given so that you can make preparation. The promise is given So that you can take heed and order your steps. So God has given us the promise of a Savior. 
He promised that a Savior would come. We know that, it, that in the incarnation of Jesus that the Savior has come. But also the promise is also for a future time. And we know that the Savior will return. And that we will realize the fullness of our salvation. Why do we have the promise? So that we can make preparation now for that which is to come. And so we see that man, he knows that he needs a Savior once he's faced with the accounting of his sin. The need for a Savior comes when man is faced with the accounting of his sins. And I was looking over this definition, I was saying the accounting, the accounting, the accounting, because we always teach our children in the children's ministry that, that, that you need to repent once you know that you have sinned, once you realize that you have sinned. But, but the, the Spirit was saying, he said, you know, there's got to be more than just a knowledge of sin. There has to be an accounting. There has to be an accounting. You have to be made to answer for. Once you have to answer for and take account your sin, that's when a Savior is needed. That's when a Savior is needed. You can go to Genesis chapter 3. I'm just going to talk a little bit more about this accounting. God confronts Adam. When I say he confronts Adam, he confronts mankind. So that Adam can compare his deeds to the righteous standard. God confronts Adam. He confronts mankind. So that we can compare our deeds to his righteous standard. Confrontation is needed for accountability. Confrontation is needed for accountability. Where there is no confrontation, lawlessness will abound without conviction. And you know that this is true. If you just look at your, your sweet little darlings when they're babies, they will, you, you, you will tell them, you will give them an instruction. Don't touch, don't touch, don't touch. And immediately they want to touch. Immediately they want to touch. And there is no conviction while they're touching. There is no conviction while they're touching. They will continue on. The surest way to sport to confuse a child is to give them an instruction and not confront them when they fail to comply with the instruction. The surest way to confuse a child is to give them an instruction and to not confront them when they fail to comply. Because they say, well, wait a second, you said don't, you said don't, but I, I am doing. I am, I am touching. I am doing. I know you said that we needed to be married, but I am doing. And you fail to confront them. Then lawlessness will abound. 
But, but confrontation, what it does is confrontation, it provides the opening. Confrontation provides the opening. It provides the space for repentance. When you confront, it provides the space for repentance. Because the flesh just wants what the flesh wants. The flesh wants what the flesh... It doesn't even have to think about it. It just does. It just does. But when you confront, immediately... The body pauses. Whoa. What? Don't. 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 Oh, don't. Don't. I, sh- I should. I should not. There's the opening for repentance. There's the opening for repentance. We say that when God confronts Adam. You know, he said that in the day that you, that you ate of the fruit, that you were going to surely die. And so, they, they did what they shouldn't have done. They should have surely died. But God, he doesn't, he doesn't deliver death. Instead, what he does is he gives a promise. He gives mankind a promise. He gives them something at that time. So that, they, so that we could make preparation for what was to come. He gives us something at that time so that we could make preparation for what is to come. Unto us, a child is born. I just love God. We, we talked all last month that... that when we talked about the gift of pastor, that God knew exactly what we needed. It's the same God. He knew exactly what we needed. And He gave us the Savior that we needed. He gave the Savior in the way that we needed the Savior to come. In the flesh. To dwell among us. Go to Genesis chapter 3. You should already be there. I'm just going to start at verse 14. This is where, where the Lord is talking to the serpent. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly thou shalt go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. It says, the seed of the woman shall bruise the head of the serpent. You know, this is a, a reference to the ultimate victory that Christ is going to have over Satan. But he also says that, that in, 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 in bruising the head of the serpent, that the serpent is also going to, to bruise the heel of the seed. That there was, a, there, was a, there was a price to be paid. There was a price to be paid for our redemption. There was a price to be paid for our salvation. 
you know, when we talk about that the that the the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent, it's a reference to the ultimate victory that, that Christ will have over Satan. But it's also a reference to the present victory that those who walk according to the Spirit, who seek after the will of God, will have over the temptations of the flesh. <clears throat> Go to Luke chapter 10. Unto us a child is born. We need to make it personal. This salvation, it can't be something that, that was distant. That happened when we were 14 years old. Happened when we were 8 years old. Happened back a long time ago. But it has to be something that is, that is present with us. It has to, we have to hold on to that promise. That it strengthens us against all reality. Against all circumstances and what's going on in the temporary. It causes us to move with faith. Luke chapter 10. This is after Jesus has sent out his disciples. And they've done all manner of miracles in his name. Chapter 10, verse 17, And the seventy returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, this is Jesus. He says, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give you power. He says, Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. The foolishness of mankind. We take this scripture and we take it completely out of context and think that it means that we need to handle rattlesnakes and play games with vipers. It has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with that. Did you not read in Genesis where the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. He's saying, I'm going to have ultimate victory over Satan. But guess what? Even now, in this present time, you're going to have victory over the temptations of the flesh. Marvel not that healing goes forth. Marvel not that deliverance goes forth. It was all by design. A Savior has been given unto us. We have the power to tread on serpents and scorpions. We can put the flesh under. We can stand. We can endure. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. We have no fear of that which can put to death the body. Because we have committed our spirits unto the Lord our God. We have committed our souls to the Lord. We fear not that which destroys this flesh. If this flesh be destroyed, we will see Him in glory. We have been given power to tread on serpents and scorpions. 
and over the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means harm us. He says that we are to be wise unto that which is good and simple to that which is evil. Be wise to that which is good and simple to that which is evil. We don't count those things as good that the world says are good. We don't count those things that are deceptive that would lead us away and would turn us away from our salvation. We count those as nothing. We count those as nothing. And we are simple. We are so simple to that which is evil. If God says it's evil, it's evil. We don't argue with it. We don't debate about it. We don't try to see how close to the line we can get. But we are simple. So simple. Because unto us, unto us, a child is given. Our salvation is near. Unto us a child is born. Go to Romans chapter 16. Just to take a quick pause, when we think about this child that has been given, that the Savior was given as a child, and I was just pondering in, my, in myself about, about Jesus and his parents and, and, and those that were in his community and those that were at the time, can, can you imagine? I mean, I, I, you know, I know what my mother went through to provide for us. I know what my grandmother went through to provide for her children. I, 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 I know some of the, the things that they had to, to endure. But can you imagine if the Lord God himself was hungry? What you wouldn't do to make sure that he was fed? If he was cold, what you wouldn't do to make sure that he was clothed? If there was anything that, that, that was needful... We're talking about the king of glory. We're talking about the king of glory. They talk about young mothers, that, that those that are, that, are, that are breastfeeding, that when their children cry, that, 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 that milk comes to them so that they can provide and, and feed their young child. Can you imagine that if the Lord of glory began to cry out, began to cry out, would not... Would, 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 would not the milk come forth. Would you not provide that which was needed? Would you not provide that which he, he, he required? That which he asked of you? Is not the Lord asking of us? Does he not have a need in this current time? Does he not have a need in this current time? For us to reach the world, for us to build the wall, for us to feed and to clothe and to provide for, to pour out mercies and compassion. I just can't imagine if my children were hungry and they came to the table 
and I didn't have something to put in front of them, how that would make me feel that, that, that I didn't have to put before them, I didn't, that there was no meat in the house, that there was no provision made. You know, we wonder, why would God send a child? Because there was a, there was a care and a concern that we need to have for our salvation, that we need to have for our Savior. He's saying, you, you think you love me. You think you love me. You think you love me. But would you take the clothes off of your back? I talked before about our young people and as they, as they grow older and they have to feed themselves and they have to, to find their own way to church, how, how it becomes a struggle and a difficulty for them to get here. You know, as long as you're giving your offerings and you're giving your, your tithes um, and, and you don't have to, to, to decide, you know, I need to decide, am I going to buy groceries or am I going to give my tithes? You haven't given a tithe yet. You haven't really given. If, if, until, you've, until we've had an assessment, and that assessment is equal to what your rent is, and you have to say, am I going to be late on my rent? Or am I going to give in the assessment? You, you haven't shown, you haven't given pastors compensation until you, you say, you know what? If I have to decide between my new gadget and my, if I got to decide between, can I put gas in my car? Or am I going to give in pastors compensation? You haven't given yet. You haven't, you, you've given but you haven't fully, you, there's another level to your giving. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to connect this back to we need to have a greater appreciation for our Savior. We need to have a greater appreciation for the Savior that has been given to us. You know, young, young parents, they, they know, there are times, those diapers are expensive. And there are times when you have to say, daycare is expensive. There are times when you have to say, you know what? This is needful. This is, I want to go to sleep. I want to go to sleep. We had, a, we had to make up a rule when our first child was born because we didn't know no better. We had to make up a rule. We said, let's make sure that this is a rule. That if we ever run out of diapers, it doesn't matter what time of the night it is that we will go and get more. After you've had a cloth experience, you'll know. After you had a cloth diaper experience, you'll know. But we had to, we had, we said, you know, it doesn't even matter. Nothing else matters. That this has to take priority. That what is needed is needed. And everything else is a want. Gas is a want. Food is a want. I'll pay the late fee on the electric bill, but this is a need. This is required. 
We have to be wise to that which is good and simple to that which is evil. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Don't try to psych yourself out. Thinking that that you've done the will of the Lord when you haven't. Thinking that you've offered when you haven't. Thinking that you've shown the appreciation when you, when you haven't. We see that the, the promise of the Savior is it, it's given according to the law of Moses. Go to John chapter 5. He, here's, here he's saying that, 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 that you look in the law and the law speaks of me. Just, just jump back into Deuteronomy. Where, where is this where, when people are looking into, into the law of Moses that, they're, that they see Jesus Christ? Go to Deuteronomy. Chapter 18. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Starting with verse 17. And it says, And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken... That which they have spoken. This is when the people are saying that, verse 16, According to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God and Horeb, in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire any more, that I die not. Said, we, we, we need, this is too much for us. This is too much, this, this, this vision. This, this what God has. This, this revelation is too much. We need an intercessor. We need, we need someone between us. And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken. That's what they have spoken. He says, I will raise up, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee. He's saying, like, like you, Moses, I'm going to raise up another prophet. And will put my words in his mouth. And he shall speak unto them, all that I shall command him. That he's going he's to seek after my will. He's going to seek after my desires. And the prophet that he raised up was Jesus Christ. We said that, that the, the, the promises of God is it's, it's given for a time in order so that the people can prepare themselves for what is to come. God gave them the promise for this prophet he gave Adam the promise that there was going to be that the seed of the woman was going to bruise the head of the serpent, so that they could prepare themselves at that time for what was to come. You know, we say that God doesn't repeat Himself, but God, He continually reminds His people that He's faithful. He reminds His people of His covenant, of His promises, because we need to know. That yes, the promise is for this time. Yes, the promise is for this time. In Genesis 12 and 1, the Lord speaks to Abraham. He says that, that, that I'm going to multiply your seed and from your seed all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Go to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. The promise is given at a specific time so that we can prepare for what's going to come in the future. Romans chapter 4. 
God has given this promise to Abraham. Romans chapter 4, verse 20. <coughs> Excuse me. It says, He staggered not at the promise of God. This is Abraham. That he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to perform. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Abraham trusted and believed in the promise of God. He believed in the promise of a Savior. And it ordered his conduct. He moved with strength. In the face of all reality, in the face of physical infirmities, he moved with strength. Because he knew that the one that had promised it, that he was faithful and that he would perform it. The promise of a Savior is contained in the songs of David the King. Look in Luke chapter 20. In Luke chapter 20. This is where Christ is answering the, uh, the scribes that are, that are questioning him. And he said unto them, this, these are the words of Jesus, How say they <clears throat> that Christ is David's son? <clears throat> says, How say they that the Messiah is David's son? And David himself saith in a book of Psalms, The Lord saith unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool and David therefore called him Lord how is he then his son it says how is Christ the son of David when David calls the Christ his Lord go to 2nd Samuel verse 7 2nd Samuel verse 7 Starting with verse 12, this is, this is the, 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 the prophecy that's given to David. It says, and, and when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father. I will be his father. And he shall be my son. It says, if he commit iniquity, I will, chasten, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. So God is speaking these words through the prophet Nathan to David. And we know that, the, that, that David's kingdom, that his biological kingdom came to an end. But, but God was making him a promise. He was speaking a word at that time for that which was to come. So that he could order and direct his house at that time. 
that he was going to establish the throne of his kingdom and that it would be forever. I love that God is God is the one that establishes. God is the one that establishes that we that we are obedient to his will, that we are obedient to his desires. But he is the one that establishes. And as we think about the promise of a savior, and as Christ begins to explain himself to his disciples and to the people according to the scriptures, we see that the Lord has not forgotten his people. The Lord has not forgotten his people. The question is, have we forgotten our Lord? The Lord has not forgotten his people. Have we forgotten our Lord? He continues to be sovereign. He continues to reign supreme. Have we said in and of ourselves that we have saved ourselves? That we have brought forth our own deliverance? Have we forgotten what brought us this far? Have we forgotten the mercy that has been shown towards us? The great power that has been shown towards us. That it was not in and of ourselves that we were able to save ourselves. But that Christ himself was the deliverer. That he rescued us. The Lord has not forgotten his people. Have we forgotten our Lord? Go to Luke chapter 10. We'll finish up with this. Go to Luke chapter 10. <clears throat> and I love this passage of scripture. Luke chapter 10 verse 33 it says, And he turned him unto his disciples and said privately, This is Jesus He's got, this, is, this is an intimate gathering. This is, this, is, this, this is for grown folks, right? This is for those that believe. This is for those that put their trust in the Lord God. He turns to them privately and says, Blessed are the eyes which see the things that ye see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see those things which ye see and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear <clears throat> and have not heard them. He says, he, he's, speaking to his, he's speaking to those that love him. He's speaking at that time, he's speaking at this time as well. Blessed are the eyes that have seen the salvation of the Lord. Blessed are the eyes that have seen his mighty acts and his great power. Blessed are the eyes that have seen his works of kindness and the grace that he has extended towards his people. That there are many prophets, that there are many kings that put their faith and trust and ordered themselves and directed their children after this promise 
to never have even seen the promise. But here we have the Lord God dwelling by the Spirit in us. Christ has come in the flesh. That we live in this time. That we live in this dispensation. Have we taken it for granted? Have we thought so little of it? Have we considered so little of God's love and His great grace that is extended towards us that we have forgotten our Savior and failed to place the appropriate value to esteem Him so much more highly? He's higher than jobs. He's, high, he's higher than, than those sometimey relationships. If your heart condemns you, he's so much greater than your heart. If you don't feel like you are worthy of salvation, that you are worthy of being rescued, he is so much greater than your heart. Unto us a child is born. A new thing is upon the earth. Will we not know it? Amen. Stand to your feet. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.com.